today on the Almond Journey podcast. The volume of water in the world is not going to change tomorrow. It's a closed system. And we have a management problem of that water. And we as a society need to understand how are we going to manage this better. We're talking irrigation efficiency with Yolo County almond grower, Kirk Pumphrey. Welcome back to the Almond Journey podcast brought to you by the Almond Board of California. On this show, we discover how growers, handlers, and other stakeholders are making things work in their operations to drive the almond industry forward. I'm your host, Tim Hamrich, and I'm traveling up and down the valley, virtually in this case, to feature the leaders who are finding innovative ways to improve their operations, connect with their local communities, and advance the almond industry. Today, we drive about 14 miles north of Davis, California, to West Wind Farms in Yolo County, where Kirk Pumphrey grows 160 acres of almonds. Kirk has been on a journey for a little over seven years now to fine-tune his operation, especially in the areas of irrigation efficiency and distribution uniformity. Through this process, he's developed close relationships with researchers at UC Davis, who are currently conducting 11 trials on his farm. In 13 and 14, uh, market was down, piece of property became available, and got through with the planting of the orchard and probably moving, I would say, a, a bit quick and not doing as much research as I probably should have. And that's, you know, being a, a newbie in the game. What I would look back now and decisions that were made based on not very much information, quickly learned and understood the deficiencies of those decisions and, you know, reached out to uh, UC Davis for input and they have been very helpful. And we have continued the relationship uh, ever since, which has led us to the management of boron and water. It is certainly in, in the different trials of hulls and shells in the management of water, where ETs are coming from and how we apply that, how we uh, irrigate, you know, based on gallons, not on some theoretical data, so that uh, what we're putting down line is accurate to the gallon. It's the curiosity. How do you get it right? And this question of how do I get it right is one that has really driven Kirk to find the latest research and best practices that work for him on his farm. Not only has he collaborated with UC Davis, but he's also worked with Kevin Greer at the Resource Conservation District to run distribution uniformity tests. And he's also found his own way to remove boron from his water and sell it as a fertilizer to areas that are deficient. We're going to talk about all of that later in today's episode, but first, he talks about the biggest impacts that drought has had on his operation. What we found out going through now two severe droughts is, in talking to other growers, no, my system does this, and it's based on a theoretical, and what the biggest change that we have seen through the drought is the well output is changing all the time. And so a flow meter is your absolute best friend because really what you're applying is not time, meaning time equals water. It is actually gallons. What we're delivering downline is gallons. And so we spend the time based on ET is then come up with what it is that we're putting downline in gallons. And then we just count down from that. You can equate the gallons to hours 
But again, we, we now with the flow meters control the system that once it's put down X number of gallons, which it, you can do the math and equate that to time, and then the system shuts off from that point. And we'll find, you know, at the beginning of the year, the output of that well is X. You're in it to, like right now, we've already noticed by the end of this month of April that we're in right now, we've noticed a difference that our well output is already has. And uh, consequently, you know, run times are a bit longer. And I'm sure as we progress through the season, the same thing's going to happen. The water volume will change. Consequently, you can't use anything that's theoretical. You've got to base it on gallons. Right. And is it difficult to always trust a flow meter? I've heard people express sort of like nervousness about always trusting it if it looks off kind of <laughs> wondering i mean is is there a good protocol to making sure that your flow meter is always reading accurately yes i think certainly in ag there's been a lot of apprehension of buying very accurate flow meters we use flow meters that are essentially electronic they do not have an impeller in them and we find the accuracy much much higher and that's what we base it on i mean they are spot on in what they register and you don't have the variability of the type that has an impeller in it that you're reading and um so they're our best friend absolutely okay and you said you're using a crop coefficient for the et have you looked at like the actual et sensors that you can get yes we subscribe to a company that uh, supplies us with that that has an on-site system we're also fortunate in the relationship with Davis and the number of trials that are going on with additional sensors. It's something to confirm what we're paying for. And then also what UC Davis has that we look at also that gives us that number that we're shooting for. And there's nothing in the third check to that concept. Go out and walk in the orchard. Let the trees talk to you. They'll tell you what you're doing. With your PCA or someone else with knowledge, Spend time walking, walking and looking. And if you do it enough times, I swear those trees will talk to you. They'll tell you exactly what's going on. And then you can take those assumptions that you see and then prove that with tissue samples and then soil samples annually to understand exactly what's going on. And you do that enough times, it's just like an education, you know? You're partially educated when you start the book. By the time you get to the last chapter, you know, you've come a long ways. And then it's that continual education that's the most important. Yeah. How about, uh, are you using any any other sensors out in the, in the orchard, such as like a soil moisture sensor and or like a tree-based sensor? Yes. Again, from trials, we've got tree-based sensors that are telling us essentially sap flow, what's traveling through. And then we also, the profile of the root zone, and we can look at exactly what that is down to about a meter. That's really interesting. But it sounds like at the at the high level, though, to kind of determine your irrigation decisions, it's mostly the ET and the flow meter for the gallons. Yes, that's right. And then just doing the math. Yes. And you, it's it, that flow meter sounds like that was a big game changer for you to really think in terms of gallons and not terms of hours. Is there anything else that really stands out as a milestone in changing the way you think about irrigation? Well, then having that checked, you know, 
which is what we've done. We've had our, our this orchard system in its efficiency. We've had it checked twice. The first time experience that we had with uh, Kevin and um, when he was out the first time and did the uh, assessment, we always knew in one area, one block, we had a deficiency. We didn't understand what it was. And Kevin shared with us, you've got a problem with this valve. And lo and behold, of following up on Kevin's suggestion, we went and took the valve apart and in turn found out there was a bag. It must have been in the installation of the system, a parts bag that ended up in the main somehow, main line, and it ended up wrapping itself inside this valve. And consequently, its output was decreased because of that plastic bag. You know, obviously we took it out. And then as Kevin said, no, the output should be this. As soon as we took it out, got everything back together, followed his recommendations, it was exactly what he said it should be. And uh, that was a big help. The other piece is then we had Kevin about four years later come back and do it again. And we've got a distribution ratio right now of 95%, which is very high. He's been most helpful in understanding what it is and how do we keep it at that level. Part of that goes back, we got some very good advice when we initially put the system in, in its design, that uh, we have no laterals less than four inches in diameter. I remember with the irrigation company going, no, we'll go down to two inch, we'll do this, you'll save $600 in the cost of pipe. And we said, no, we'll spend the $600 additional. It's a 25-year decision. We don't need to try to save $600. One, two, if there's any repair, you don't need all the other pipe sizes. You don't need all the other fittings that are smaller. We know you know, that four inches is the smallest that we have. And, you know, when you think about it, from the wellhead to the furthest point is a little over a half a mile away, you don't have the pressure loss and you got much better distribution because of it. So that was a huge help to us in its design. And again, Kevin in his time, you know, has proven that point out to us. And so, you know, at each one of the sub-mains, we've got analog gauges on it. So, you know, when they're running the lines, they drive by, they can see it. So if they see a variance, then we spend the time to figure out why, because it's all about distribution. And usually when you get a variance, it's always in the worst spot in the orchard. So he is put in our head to have confidence in our system, and we want to keep it at its highest level. And is that why you initially reached out to Kevin at the Resource Conservation District is because you just had a hunch that with that block, there was some deficiency that might be, you know, um, distribution? Yes, very much so. And especially the second time he was out, you know, here's the theoretical. This is what it should be doing. This is what it is doing. And in turn, we continually go back to that to understand what it is that we have and then keep it at its highest operating ability. And in turn, now, obviously, it's the gallons, or the throughput through that system. And Kevin has given us the confidence that, yes, we understand now completely what we have, and we're doing everything in our power to keep it that way. Okay. 
That's great. And what does that look like for others that might want to contact their local resource conservation district? Uh, you call the office. Do they just, you know, come out relatively soon? And kind of how, how does that experience look from a grower's perspective? Yeah, it was a very easy process of contacting Kevin's group and in turn scheduling it. I know they've only got so many tests that they can perform on an annual basis. And uh, we got ourselves on the list. And it was about two weeks prior to Kevin showing up to confirm dates and times. Uh, he and his group was here spot on time and uh, did all the testing. Obviously, we tied it around an irrigation event. And that happened both times he has been here. It's uh, very easy. And then the report that comes approximately two weeks later, incredibly detailed, and uh, also with a lot of additional resources of understanding irrigation, if there's additional interest in educating yourself. That has been also very helpful when in doubt at a later point in time when different issues come up. And it sounds like he's been out twice and both times found something, you know, that needed to be addressed. Yes. Yes. And, you know, the second time we thought, oh, this is going to be easy. You know, we've got this down. But he, he, you know, it's been helpful to even raise it to a higher level. And when it does come down to it, it's all about distribution in the, uh, you know, the gallons that you're putting down line. That's irrigation. Those two components. And this report you get, you said it's very detailed. You know, does Kevin or somebody walk you through it and kind of, you know, strategize about kind of what to do about it? Or is it uh, something you just kind of read through and, and figure it out? Uh, if you've got any questions, I found Kevin and his group is just to reach out to him. If you have questions and understanding, fabulous. He'll absolutely spend the time to uh, walk you through it so that you understand it. And then also on top of that, different opportunities to enhance your irrigation system through grants, through whatever government agency. Kevin is and his group have been very helpful in giving suggestions, you should do this and you should apply for this grant to enhance your system. And he understands, you know, the intricacies of those different programs of how best to approach it. And if you should apply this year, apply the next year. And looking at the total picture, because it's interesting, the grant money totals you only get so much over a 10-year window of time. So you never want to ask for a small amount. You want to ask for something that's going to get you close to the cap over a 10-year period of time. And that, that was helpful. And for you, has that led to pursuing any of those programs? We had an idea of what we wanted to enhance some automation in valves. And the demand for that, he said, go do all the homework necessary to apply for the application and in turn put yourself in a position that when next year's round of funding information comes out, you're at the front of the line versus, you know, putting yourself in a position of, you know, disappointment where you've done all the work, but you submitted to the latter part of the funding round and they just ran out of the money that was going to go out. And I thought that was most helpful and also the, spend the time to take, you know, the scope of the work, broaden your thoughts, 
And what is it that other items that you could add to that in the ask? That Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a really good tip. That was helpful. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense because you go through all that work and then uh, you would have got approved, but your timing was just wrong. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, what's next for you? I, I mean, in this quest, to, I love how you said just you want to get it right. And as you think about your system as it operates today with the suggestions that, that Kevin's given to you, you know, what's next for you in, in your quest to sort of get it right when it comes to irrigation? Well, the continued understanding, in our case also, the continue of the management of boron is a big part. We see that as something we're going to absolutely continue with as it is an issue not only just in Yolo County, but certainly in a lot of areas in the state of California and, and certainly other states. So that's what we're going to continue. And we want to, by the reduction of boron, is to continue to enhance yield. And uh, this is a test bed to prove that out. In a number of advice from growers in the area, they have learned how to farm around the issue, but never solve the issue. We have taken a bit different tact of looking at the boron, in my case, the boron issue and solving the issue. In my chemistry background and prior life, We've spent quite a bit of time on the removal of boron, which is not easy, and that we have no waste product because you're taking something that, that is toxic, and then you're going to, from that, concentrate it, and what are you going to do with it? And uh, we end up in our system now with um, a boric acid, potassium borate, which is a fertilizer product. We're removing the boron and we're converting it to fertilizer that's sold. So the long and short answer is, is we've taken the boron challenge, which is a distribution problem that Mother Nature has, and we, we're trying to solve that. That's fascinating. So what is the solution that you came up with? So we, we've taken a hybrid approach of uh, the removal of boron through ion exchange, and we have in turn at the flow rates uh, needed in ag, been able to manage that. Ultimately, the boron attaches itself to a polymer, and you in turn have to get it to release from that polymer. And we have figured all of that out. And in turn, then we take and basically separate the water from the boron and come up with a concentration of uh, boric acid. Wow. How are you kind of collecting that? Because it's it's all throughout your soil, right? It sounds like. So how are you collecting yeah, it on so the other it's end? Through, the, the issue is not in the soil if you control the water. You think about where does it come from? It comes from the water. The source of water is where it comes from. Ultimately, is in the ground. The, the piece about boron that's interesting is how soluble it is. And if you reduce the volume of boron going downline to the trees in this case, in turn, what you're doing is you're washing, because of that solubility, it moves quite quickly through the root zone, and uh, which we have done, and you can easily lower the uh, boron content in the soil as long as you're, you're taking it out as soon as the water comes out, out of that wellhead and removing it down to what you know, UC Davis's guidelines are, it's a half a part per million. And that's what we try to average between a half and, and 0.5 and 0.7 parts per million 
going down line. Okay. So it's essentially removed before it gets to the trees. Yes. And then, you know, it's the unfortunate part if we had average rainfall. The wonderful part about rain is it doesn't carry any boron at all. So you get the leaching effect of it. But we're in a different reality right now with the low rainfall. Consequently, the boron's hanging around even more. So the toxicity continues to build if you're not removing it. Right. And, and did you say, are you selling the uh, fertilizer? And is that kind of its own little side business? It ultimately, yes, it will be. Very interesting. Wow. And did you come up with the process on your own or how, how did you find that? It sounds like it wasn't being used by other growers. It was not. And it's been through, you know, certainly different chemists, concepts, uh, gleaning that information from them, and then an awful lot of trial and error in the expenditure of a, a tremendous amount of capital to come up with it. Very cool. Wow. Uh, yeah, I know we're here to talk mostly about irrigation, but I, I couldn't let that one slide. That's just too interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it has been an interesting challenge. And, uh, and the, the interesting challenge is, is the problem needs to be solved. And uh, instead of working around it is just sometimes, and I think it's been beneficial of, of not having too much information because we didn't know when we started out that we couldn't solve it. And we always have thought, we can solve this problem and it needs to be solved. Well, Kirk, this has been fantastic. Anything else you'd like to add? I know we covered a lot of ground. I mean, from boron to uh, the distribution uniformity, anything else along any of those lines or, or something new you want to add before I let you go? Well, let me, let me just make this, this point. And certainly, of, you know, a lot of fabulous conversations of, with UC Davis, and I just admire that group and, and the knowledge. You know, we have a water problem. You think about water. Water is a closed system. The volume of water in the world is not going to change tomorrow. It's a closed system. And we have a management problem of that water. And we as a society need to understand how are we going to manage this better? And we have talked about in the state of California, the removal of X number of irrigated acres. Okay. You know, you can convince people, obviously, with an offset of money of some type, an incentive to step out and not irrigate. But the fact of the matter is the unintended consequence of that is of those irrigated acres in the state, if we take out a million to a, uh, to a half a million acres, for example, 70% of the produce produced for the United States comes out of California. Where are you going to move that production to in order to continue to provide food security in the United States? That's the unintended consequence of going, no, we're not going to put any more water there. Okay, we can stop doing that. But where's the food security going to come from? That affects everybody not just the rural populations, but the metropolitan populations that don't understand how the food is produced. And I, I don't want to spend two seconds on we or they. It is we, the, the piece is we're all in this together, and it's all about food security. And without food security, if you do a little bit of homework in history and geography, areas that have food security are very successful. Areas that do not have food security are not successful. Well, some important and thought-provoking words there to end our featured interview on today. Thank you so much to Kirk Pumphrey for joining us for today's show. 
Well, water and irrigation efficiency I know are on everyone's mind in this industry, and there's some additional resources to be aware of. That'll be the focus of today's ABC Update. There's no such thing as an easy year when it comes to farming in California. And as you just heard from Kirk, the journey to get it right doesn't really have a final destination. Since 1973, the almond community has supported more than $89 million in research to improve farming practices. One of the many deliverables from this investment is a number of helpful research-backed resources that growers can access for free. Almond Board of California Senior Manager of Industry Relations and Communications Jenny Nicolau says a good place to start is almonds.com forward slash grower tools, where you can find a whole section built out just for irrigation tools. One of our newest resources is an irrigation resource booklet. It's basically like short, simple pages that give you those calculations that you always forget or just need a good refresher on. And we have a number of those resources like Using irrigation scheduling and what that means when you look at ET, almond salinity and leaching and just some of those quick tips that might help you or what to consider before investing in new technology. So this resource booklet brings together a number of these one pagers and a really easy to find and easy to digest manner. And if video is more your style, on that same almonds.com forward slash grower tools page, there are some fantastic videos from the irrigation station series that the Almond Board produced a few years ago. For example, there's a video on building your irrigation toolbox, what you might want to keep in the back of your pickup truck to help you when you're cruising through your orchards. There's another short video on how to use a pressure chamber or what it looks like and what it means to use strategic deficit irrigation. These videos are all about three, four minutes long, so you're not going to be tired after watching them. You're not going to feel overwhelmed. It's going to be some short, simple tips that really are meant to help the grower. Last but not least, there's also another place on the almonds.com website to check out for these resources, and that's under the Almond Industry tab, where there's a section on orchard management. Within that area, we have a specific page dedicated to water and irrigation. And there's just a little more context. So the resources are there, but it helps explain the importance. And there's some links to the irrigation calculator, which is a free tool that we have through the California Almond Sustainability Program. There's some really good information and introduction to groundwater recharge. We talk about water supply and quality. And again, we link to all those incredible resources. So almonds.com slash grower tools. Or you could go to almonds.com to the Almond Industry tab under Orchard Management. Thank you to Jenny. And we will, of course, provide the links to both of those in the show notes for today's episode. As always, to get more information, you can always reach out to the Almond Board's field outreach team directly by using the email address fieldoutreach at almondboard.com. They will be glad to follow up with you and connect you to any additional tools you may need. We here at the Almond Journey podcast believe everyone in the almond industry has a story of their own of how they're making things work on their farms or in their jobs. Hearing the voices of industry leaders, people like Kirk Pumphrey, may have sparked a connection for you that you can use in your own journey. That's why we want to feature these stories of innovation, resilience, and community here on this podcast. I hope you'll come along for the ride by subscribing to the show on your podcast platform of choice, and please pass it along to someone else in the industry so we can all share in this almond journey together.